Hey, Connect Church, PD here. I'm in God's house. You're in your house. And I am so, so glad to speak to you today. Guess what? We're in the final installment of our Multiply series. Now, I think this will be a theme that carries literally into the future, maybe way beyond not only 2020, but into the future because it's deep in the heart of your pastor and also kind of embedded into the leadership of our church right now because God wants us to be fruitful and he wants us to multiply. Today, in this final message, I want to talk to you about the importance of being planted in a local church, being planted in a local church. Because I want you to see the direct correlation between your growth and your ability to multiply and you being rooted and planted in God's house. Now, I heard a story about a guy um, just like me, and his wife said, honey, it's time to go to church. And he said, honey, I don't really want to go to church today because I don't like the building. Uh, I don't like the people. I'm pretty sure the people don't like me. And she says, honey, I'm going to tell you three reasons why we're going to church today. Number one, I spent a lot of time getting dressed to look this good. Number two, all of the kids are already in the van. And number three, you're the pastor. <laughs> okay, so I think there are actually a lot of people out there in the world that feel like the pastor. Um, this particular one, they they are maybe not uh, that excited about going into a building <laughs> right now and having church. Maybe they're not excited about seeing some people. Maybe they think the people aren't excited about seeing them. I want to depose those notions. I want to eradicate those ideas. A lot of times. Um, I hear people say things related to church. Like one thing I often hear is, you know, PD, I don't need a local church to be okay with God. Or I, I, just, I just don't need a local church. I hear that and other things all the time. And I see people who check out, fall out, back out of the local church. And there is replaced with that a sort of... Um, rugged individualism, um, a negative individualism that kind of rules and dictates their decisions. Um, often people get away from church because they think or look at it through an institutional lens. Sometimes people get away from it because in their anonymity, when they were there, they never connected and therefore they never received the benefits that God had for them. And so what if we could stop shopping forever or ultimately dropping out forever from the local church and seeing the benefits? So try this verse on for size. It's going to be coming up um, for you to see. But it says this. It says, those who are planted... Come on, everybody, say planted. Write that in the chat, wherever you are online. Um, those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of uh, their God. Now, what I love, um, upon study, I ne actually never knew this until I studied this. Actually, I came to this revelation uh, uh, yesterday. I never realized that in this verse, the house of the Lord was actually referring to people, fam a family. It's a familial uh, definition. And, 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 and then there's this term, courts of the Lord, that's more related to the, the building, the church, the place. So the, the house of the Lord is more about the people, and the courts of the Lord is more about the place. So if we read the verse again, we see those that are planted with people, planted in a family, shall flourish in the place of 
And you could say that they go or wherever they worship. So my flourishing is directly associated with the people before the place. In other words, it's more about the, the who you are connected to. That precedes where we are going and getting connected. So if we're connected, if we're connected with other people, we will flourish in that place. Amen. So back to the text. God wants you to flourish. I want you to flourish. I don't want you to just manage and cope and get along and survive until Jesus comes back and just hold your breath and live in your basement. No, God wants all of us to be able to flourish, and he wants us to be able to do that together. But you need to connect uh, with people even more than you realize. And so some of us have kind of lost, um, some of us that aren't even listening. But some of us that are here on the edge, maybe, are the cusp of losing that hope. And I want to stir that up today. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, um, uh, you know, in discussions with people who have a hard time believing that any good can come out of this pandemic or as it relates to the church, that anything fruitful can emerge or anybody could flourish or anything could grow or anything could multiply. I mean, come on, how could that happen amidst this? And I just want you to say, time out, I believe that, that God can make things grow even when things look dead, even when things look dry, even when there seems to be a massive disconnect. God can still make things grow. And I want to give you a powerful illustration that affected me on a personal, uh, on a personal level. And I don't, know if, I don't know about you if you've ever heard of this place, but this place I'm going to show you, there's a picture that's going to come up in just a second. It's a picture of Death Valley, California. It is the hottest, driest, deadest place in America. And as you can see in this picture, you see this little skull here and just this dry, barren wasteland. Nothing grows here. Nobody lives here. It's so so, so hot, so, so dry. Nothing's happening here. That's why they named it Death Valley. Everything that would live there, be there, will ultimately die and dry up. But in 2004, something, uh, something happened. Uh, it was uh, a, a weather phenomenon took place in the month of December in 2004. Seven inches of rain fell in Death Valley. And it had never happened before up to this point. And Initially, all it made was a muddy mess, just, just a mess, just mud and, and because of the water on the dry land. Uh, but five months later, in the spring of 2005, I want you to see, look at this picture. Look what happened. Look what happened. Things began to emerge. Things began to uh, grow. Things began to thrive. And we began to see an, just an, an incredible picture of, of life surfacing from under the surface. This is what's called a super bloom. Super bloom. Everybody say super bloom. What they discovered is that Death Valley actually wasn't dead. Death Valley was dormant. Come on, somebody, that'll preach all by itself. Death Valley wasn't dead. Death Valley was just dormant. And I want you to pay attention to this. We've talked about this in the previous week when we talked about seeds of multiplication that God has placed in you and I. All along in Death Valley, there were seeds um, for growth deep within the ground. And beneath the surface, if it had been given uh, it had the right potential, and if it had been given the right support, the right environment, the right, we would say a couple weeks ago, fertilizer, as it were, then it could flourish. It could bloom again. And in this case, it was a super bloom. So 
Similarly, as a believer, you have been given by God certain seeds of potential that give you the ability to flourish, to thrive, and to multiply. And though there are things that you may have called dead, you may have called your marriage dead, you may have called your finances dead, you may have called, come on somebody, I'm getting it really early, you may have gotten your dream, you thought it was dead. I want you to know something beneath the surface of your life, if you are a Christ follower and you've made Jesus your sin barrier, there are seeds of potential within the ground that if put in the right condition, in right environment, there can be in your life, in the life of those that you love, a super bloom potential. That's what I've called this message. I've called it super bloom. God wants you to flourish. He wants you to flourish in a big way. He wants you to bloom in a big way. But where is that environment? Petey, where's that environment? Well, the scripture again tells us that those that are planted in the house of the Lord shall, you could say, super bloom. They shall bloom. They shall flourish in the courts of our God. So I want that for you. And so I'm going to just kind of unpack some things. Uh, the second part of this verse, just as a little parenthetical, is for some of you a little bit on the, on the, on the second half of your life. I'm on the second half of my life. I can't even believe I'm saying that. But, uh, but, but those of you a little bit older, look what it says. It says... They shall still bear fruit in old age. Come on, somebody. We can still be. We, there's no retirement in the kingdom of God. There's no, I'm resigned. I did that. You know, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Like, as, as, a, as a mature Christian, we should stay and remain active Christians. So they shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh. Come on. I love that. Fresh and flourishing, not stale and stagnant, not having rotten fruit. What do we talk about in week one or two? Rotten fruit is the fruit that we eat ourselves. We're bearing fruit and eating in ourselves, rotten fruit. That's not what he wants for us. So those of us in the second half of our life, come on, somebody, you can be fresh and flourishing. Write this down if you're taking notes. Our big idea is this. If you want to flourish, you must be planted in a local church. Now, what does planted mean? I'm going to give you a lay kind of definition in a second, but the, the dictionary definition is to be deeply and firmly established. Remember that word deep, because that's referring to really roots. And then a, a kind of a firmly, it's like you're just committed, established. I like to say, lay terms, is you're just staying put. You're just staying put. Now, uh, again, uh, it doesn't say that planted is attendance. See, people uh, that attend church, uh, that's different than people who are planted in church. It doesn't say uh, people uh, who finish next steps, uh, you know, who, are, who went to a seminar on the weekend, who, who can say, I'm a member. Good for you. I'm glad you're a member. But are you planted? See, planted is those people that are deeply and firmly established. And so just because your name is in a database in Planning Center Online, or just because your name is in a file cabinet somewhere does not mean you will grow, you will uh, mature, you will, uh, you will discover your purpose, you will flourish and multiply. You have to be planted. You have to be, uh, we've been saying behind the scenes, fully engaged, fully engaged. So to be planted is more about, or it starts with, I should say, uh, a mindset, a mindset. It's like, for me, I'll just use myself, not as the pastor, but as a member of this church, as someone who's planted in the church. It's really, it, it's like impossible for me to believe. You know why? Because I'm so rooted. I'm so rooted here. The roots 
symbolically we can see in Scripture, and there are many um, uh, different analogies we, that the Bible uses in the New Testament, family, body, you know, the vine, the tree, all different analogies, but roots refer to relationships. One of the reasons I, I'm so deeply planted is because I have deep and abiding relationships with other people. Roots, by the way, always precede fruits. You cannot have abundant fruit if you do not have deep roots. So I've heard people say, I could never leave Connect because I'm in three different groups. I love that. I, could, I couldn't leave this church because my best friends are here. Come on, somebody. I couldn't leave this church because I'm so invested. Where, you, where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. Really hard to leave when you just invested so much. If I miss one Sunday, I heard a person say this to me one time. If I miss one Sunday, five people will be calling me, asking me, where you at? What's going on? Where were you this week? See, that's what it means or looks like to be rooted. A second definition, I like this definition for planted as well. A second definition is it's a place I'm known, it's a place I'm challenged, and it's a place I'm loved. Known, challenged, and loved. Now let's get back to our super bloom illustration because what caused this dry desert that was dead to produce and flourish again? What does it take, in other words, for something to flourish? The word flourish in the dictionary, it means this. I love it. This is so powerful. It means to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as a result of a particularly favorable environment. See, it requires a special, a particularly favorable uh, environment, like a soil where the pH is high and, and potent and filled with potential. And as a pastor, I sit back sometimes, or I observe people, and I see people with great potential. But God, he sits back, he's, he sees people, like, like I see people who have great potential, and he's waiting for us to get into the ground. So, so you have the potential to be great, but God is waiting for you to get in the ground in order for you to, to get great, to get into the soil, to get planted, and to get yourself rooted. And so as we've been talking about bearing fruit, and you can see how connected it is to being planted. So if you're, if you're not planted and you're a Christian, you know what you probably are? You're potted. See, you might, you might be a potted Christian, but you're not a planted Christian. See, there's a difference between a potted Christian and a planted Christian. See, a potted Christian may be uh, beautiful, but it might not be fruitful. It may produce flowers, but a potted plant, generally speaking, cannot produce fruit. It can produce flowers that to the outside look okay, but the reality is it's not able to bear fruit or produce fruit. The reason is in a potted plant, there's no ability for the roots to go deep into the ground. And so as a result, a plotted, potted plant, very difficult to say these words over and over again, a, a, a potted plant, it struggles because the roots aren't deep enough. They can't produce fruit. There's no maturity. And so, yes, it has a temporary flower. It blooms, uh, but it can't, it can't be celebrated. See, God, God, people celebrate flowers, but God celebrates fruit. God wants us to be fruitful. And so sometimes I hear people say things like, this is how it applies. People say things like, Pastor, I, I really don't have any friends. I really don't feel like I fit. 
And I often hear those kind of statements. And so I would just say this. This is a generalization, not a perfect application, okay? But I would tell you this. Sometimes that's because you haven't been planted first. First you plant yourself, then you'll see yourself begin to flourish. First you plant, you deeply root yourself. You, when, when somebody plants something, they put it deep into the soil. They make sure that it's, it's covered up well inside that soil. And so you got to establish a, a, a deep and firm commitment. That's what the definition of, of planted means. It's not just in heart, by the way. It's also in action. Many say, I don't have those roots. So there's relationships that you're referring to. You know, a lot of times the Bible uses, the, the differentiates between relationship and fellowship. And we don't have time to talk about that today. But relationships more surface it's scripturally. Fellowship is a more deep, committed, uh, commitment, covenant-type relationships. And in order for that to happen, you're going to have to plant yourself deeply. And, and, and this this is very, it's very easy to see when you see it through the lens of God's eyes. For example, God puts out in front of us two kind of big, big commandments. One is the, the kind of the, the commandment to love the Lord your God with all your, what, heart, strength, and mind. Isn't it interesting? He tells us to love God that way. But why is it that we don't love the church that way when the church is the bride for God, the bride of Christ, right? In other words, it doesn't it make sense that we should first love the church that way, not just, in other words, if I say I love God, but I don't love the church, come on, that's crazy. That's like me saying, that's like you saying to me, I love you, PD, but I don't love Stacy. Man, them are fighting words, okay? Those are fighting words. You can't separate me from my spouse, and you can't separate God from his church, from his bride. And so what I would tell you is a lot of times you don't flourish because you're not fully engaged, fully committed, fully rooted. The results, the, 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 the benefits of the roots begin to bring back to you what you are looking for when you are deeply rooted. Another reason we don't flourish is because we're trying to be rooted in two different uh, environs. Two different places. We want to be rooted in the world, and we want to be rooted in the kingdom. And nothing, nothing in Scripture supports that. In fact, here's a really tough Scripture. James chapter 4, verse 4. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. If you're getting something out of this, just say amen in the chat. It says, you have be this is what happens when another reason people don't flourish is because they're trying to live in two camps, two, two different fields, two different types of soil. And this is what happens. It says, you become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, whoa, an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Notice that word, affair. Think about it. Whether the affair is known or unknown, let's, let's talk about this in a relational context. Uh, statistically, there's a lot of people that are having, um, you know, there's, there, where there's infidelity and, and, and that sort of thing. And when that transpires, sometimes it's not known. But everybody knows it still affects the dynamic of the relationship, whether it's known or unknown. So if we're having an adulterous relationship or an affair with the world and trying to also be in a strong and abiding relationship with God, 
it affects the dynamic of the relationship between you and God. And so as a result, people struggle. And so many today are disconnected from true fellowship with the local church because of these reasons and others. And I think another reason is because, especially now in a COVID world, I hate even saying that, but we all know what I mean when I say that, is it's, it's, it's less convenient now than ever to be connected to a local church. There are more obstacles uh, we have to wear a mask. We have to practice social distancing. And, and pre-COVID, we, we just had to go to bed a little bit earlier on Saturday night, and we could pick one of four services on a Sunday morning at Connect that we could go to. And now you have to turn it online and watch weekly and, 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 and fight distraction. And now you have to for the, you know, either go online in a group or go to somebody's house and, and wear a mask and, and socially distance and all of this. It's so much harder right now, right? I think all of you are thinking, yeah, but there's a part of me and there's a part of me that God put in me that wants to say, stop your whining. It's, it's, it's time to stop complaining. In other words, is it possible that things were too easy before? Things have been so, just so convenient for us and maybe, maybe we're even so comfortable. Can I just tell you something? Uh, you're not meant to be comfortable here because this is not your home. You're not meant to get cozy here. And so the fact that things are a little bit more difficult might have some positive benefits. If two hours on a Sunday morning in a building with climate control and, 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 and lights and smoke machines was the only thing that was keeping you and me afloat spiritually, maybe we, will, maybe we were building our relationship on the wrong foundation. Everybody say, ouch, in the chat. I love how it hurts. Matthew chapter 7, I'll paraphrase this, but it says, If you hear these words of mine and don't put them into practice, it's like a man who built his house upon the sand. See, what happens is a lot of us have built our spiritual foundation on sand, not on the rock, on relationship, on our confession, on our commitment to Jesus Christ. And so when the rains came and when the winds began to blow and the storm of COVID came around us, many of us have been shaken to our core and we've drifted and we've disconnected and we've become distant from, uh, you know, our relationship because we really weren't planted we weren't fully planted. And so what does your spiritual life build on? I just, I'd like you to kind of ask yourself that as you're processing this message. Because I think God wants you in this time, in this day, in this uh, age of sorrows, he, as, 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 as the day of the Lord approaches, capital D, his ultimate return, I think he wants you more rooted. I think he wants you more connected, more intentional, more invested, more firmly uh, and deeply established in your spiritual life with him. And you are focused now as we go forward more on the why we do church than on the when and where. Can I have an amen out there? And if someone was to ask you, why do you go to church? Um, what reasons would you give? I think our answers would be all over the place. Uh, and so I'd like to help you with that just a little bit. And, and first, I'd like to say, let's define church, okay? How do you define church? Well, first we have to decide, you know, what it's not, a lot of times we define church because of our background, our experience, and our traditions and things like that. But we got to go to the Word of God. What the, what the Word of God says, the church is not a building. The church is not a building. The, the, church of not, the church is not a building or a specific location. Jesus didn't die for a building. He died for people. Can I have an amen? And so churches meet there, but the church is not a building. The church is also not an institution. 
It's not an organization as much as it was created to be an organism, living and breathing and moving and, and accomplishing things for the kingdom. Amen? So write this down. The church is not a place, this is important, the church is not a place I go or an event I attend. The church is a spiritual family that I belong to. The church is a spiritual family that I belong to. Look at the early church uh, words uh, that are used to describe how the church lives and behaves. Acts 2, 41 through 42. I've highlighted different words in my notes. It says this. I'm going to paraphrase some things and move around fast. So it says, those who believed, believed, were baptized, added to the church. They joined with other believers they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? The word of God. And to fellowship. That's different than just relationship. That's, that's deep and abiding connections and commitments to one another. They worshiped together regularly. Not like once in a blue moon at the temple courts. And they met, look at this, in small groups and in homes for communion. They shared meals. I like that part a lot. Come on, somebody. I have the spiritual gift of eating. They shared meals with great joy and thankfulness. I want you to see the kind of words that reflect the behaviors and characteristics of the church. The church, here's another thing I wrote down, is a group of believers who, this is the summary of that verse. The church is a group of believers who join together in commitment. They're planted to help each other grow and multiply. Now, why is the church so important? I, I, imagine from God's eyes how he looks at the church, and maybe that'll, if you see as God sees, you can do as God says. Imagine how he sees the church. I want you to know why the church is so, so important to God. These are real quick. I'm going to go through these super fast, okay? Some of you from out of state that are listening to me, you're like, he's already talking fast. Well, get ready. Here we go. Okay, so God sees the church as so important because the church is God's family, the church is God's family. 1 Peter 1, 3, it says, we are now members of God's own family. You might want to circle or underline that word member and family. See, you, when you're born, you become a part of the human race when you're born, but you become a part of the family of God when you're born again, when you're born again. So notice, again, uh, the language he uses. What is God's family? 1 Timothy 3.15 says, that family is the church of the living God. It is the support and foundation of truth. See, in a church is where you find support and where you build a good and firm foundation for the rest of your life. God's family, it's more important than any business, any government agency, or anything else that, you, that can preoccupy you or occupy you. Here's another reason it's important to God. It's the only reason God, listen to this, created the universe. What? The only reason God created the universe, yeah, the reason God created all of this, everything we see, everything we experience, everything we look at, everything we enjoy, is so he could have a family. In Ephesians 1, verse 4, in the Living Bible, it says, long ago, even before he made the world, he chose us. God chose us to be his very own through what Christ would do for us. Did you know that before he created the universe, he thought of you. He thought of me. That's incredible. It really denotes the value that he puts on us. Ephesians 1.5 says his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And this gave him great, 
great pleasure. So, so God wants a family. He created the universe uh, for this purpose. And if you're not, if, if you, he wouldn't have, nothing would exist if it wasn't for this. Here's the third thing. God is using his church for his eternal purposes. God is using his church for his eternal purposes. When you go through next steps, we always use this verse, but it says, God's intent was that now, through the church, everybody say through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known uh, to everyone. And then it says, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. I love how it says it in the paraphrase, the message. It says, through Christians like yourselves, gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. God's plan was always to involve the church in God's plan. Here's another one. Jesus died for his church. Why is the church so important? He died for it. See, he didn't do it for a nation. He didn't do it for your business. He did it because he loves the church. Ephesians tells us, Ephesians 5 is known as the great marriage chapter, but it's really referencing the church first. It says, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He died so that he could give the church to himself like a bride in all her beauty. He died so that the church could be pure and without fault, uh, blemishless, it goes on to say. And so when you how do you determine the value of something? By the price you're willing to pay for it. And so God was willing to give his son to pay for the, to pay for the church. That shows how valuable uh, the church is to God. And, and here's another one. The only thing on earth that will last forever is the church. It's the only thing. Only thing. Guess what, everybody? Guess what, ladies? Target will not last forever. I'm sorry to tell you that right now. Guess what, men and women? Starbucks will not, somebody just fell out. Starbucks will not last forever. No corporation, no business, no house on the beach is going to last forever. No nation, no dynasty. Only the church of Jesus Christ will last forever. Ephesians 3.21, glory will, will belong to God in his church and in Christ Jesus for all time and for all eternity. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 speaking of the great rapture, when he comes and pulls us together to be with him in the air, it says, we will be with the Lord together forever. Here's another one. It's amazing. Look at these. The church is the only group that Jesus said would succeed. If you're trying to figure out why the church is important, here's a bunch of reasons. He said the only thing that would succeed, the only thing that couldn't be defeated would be the church. I don't care what pandemic you throw at the church of Jesus Christ. It will continue to adapt, grow, thrive, and multiply. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the living church. I don't want to be a part of the dead church. Matthew 16 says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Nothing, I tell you, nothing can stop the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't, to, isn't into buildings. Jesus isn't interested in building reputations and personalities. Jesus isn't interested in building up people's bank accounts. Jesus is interested in building the church of Jesus Christ and building it so he could have a bigger and bigger family. So he wants it to multiply. And lastly, uh, it's the only group um, big enough to solve big problems. I, I th actually, I think I have one more after this. It's the only group big enough to solve big problems. See, there's no nation. There's no nation that can solve the global problems of our world. There's no organization, private or public, that can do it. The church is, by the way, the church is 2.2-ish billion people in the world. That's like, you know, whatever that is, about a quarter to a third of the world. It's, the church is bigger than China and India put together. 
And so it can accomplish a lot when it's working together. Ephesians 3.20 says, By his mighty power at work within us, speaking of the church, God is able to accomplish infinitely more than we could ever dare, ask, or hope. And so we have the greatest distribution of wealth. We have the most volunteers and dream teamers on the planet, the highest motivation to help the world, and so on. So the church solves big problems. And let me give you one more. The greatest privilege in life is to be part of God's church. See, I am a child of God. Say that, say that, right? Just say it right out loud wherever you are. I am a child of God, and I am a part of God's family. Say that out loud. Say, I am a part of God's family. And it's more important, listen, than your nationality. It's more important than uh, your gender. It's more important than your educational affiliation or your job title. You are a child of God, and you are part of the family of God. In 1 Peter 1, 3, Scripture tells us God has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and this, the spirit of God lives in you. So I said this earlier, but when, when you were born into the human race, you didn't have a choice. And kind of as I transition to you, wherever you are more personally, to the one that may be far from God or disconnected or wondering if you're part of the family of God. Some of you don't wonder that. Some of you just need to get a little bit more rooted, a lot more rooted in some cases. But some of you are not certain that you are part of the family of God. You were born into the human race, but you have to choose to be a part of God's spiritual family. That's that the first choice was made for you. The second choice is a choice that only you can make, and you have, you have this life to make that choice. Will you not just be born of the flesh or of water, but will you be born of the Spirit? As it says in John's chapter, John chapter 3 in the story of Nicodemus, will you be born again? Born again. That's a decision you have this life to make with your free will. You know, when you... You see, when, when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, think about this. Something similar to the phenomenon of the super bloom happened. What? Yeah, see, there was in humanity a dead, dry desert spiritually throughout the world, throughout all of humanity. And when Jesus rained down his life upon the earth, and then ultimately after living this sinless life, hung upon a tree for all the world to see and died, the potential of humanity changed. The potential based on a choice. You see, I learned uh, recently that when a tree dies, when a tree uh, passes, as you could say, it dies, something incredible transpires. In short, the tree pushes all the remaining nutrients that it has within its body deep down into, in essence, the floor of the tree, the roots of the tree, and it pushes it into the ground so that all the remaining life that is there could benefit from the death of that tree whatever was in or on that tree. And so the potential is, uh, is, is expanded because of the death of one tree. Amazing. It places all that potential in the ground. The tree, in essence, seeds its life into the future of other people for their life. John 12, 24 said something that popped for me. It says, amen, amen, I tell you. 
Unless a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. I don't know if you see this, but Jesus, like a grain of wheat, a seed, came, the Bible says, like rain to the earth, and he died. He died so we could live, so that we could live with him forever, but so that while we're here, we could produce much fruit, we could multiply, and we could bring more people into the family of God and see them planted and rooted in a family. And just like that tree, all, 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 he, was, he was from his death, uh, and, and he put his full, at his death, he put his full potential into the earth so that if anyone would receive by faith, this seed of faith, you could say, they could live, they could grow, and they could be with God forever. This is salvation, people, in a nutshell. This is how you become a part of the family of God because what the Son did on that tree was uh, made available to you and me if we would accept that. Have you made the choice to accept the potential is there for you? The potential is there because of what Jesus did, because Jesus died for you and me. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Wherever you are in your home, wherever you are here locally or even around the world, you're listening. I want to give you that chance. I want that seed to come alive. Salvation is basically when your spirit is quickened because of a confession of your mouth and a belief in your heart. So your body's alive, your mind is alive, but your spirit is dormant. Just like the seed that was dormant in Death Valley, there's a seed inside of you that's dormant. But as soon as you confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord, that spirit part of you comes alive. And, the, and you become, in that moment, a part of the family of God. If that's you, I want you to say, Pastor, that's me. I want you to raise your hand right where you are. You can click the little button below there and just say, that's me. I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ. I'm saying yes to that potential. I'm saying yes to what Jesus did for me. And would you say this with me? Say, Jesus, I receive what you did for me 2,000 years ago. What seemed dead is now coming alive. I confess that you are the Son of God, that you paid for my sins, that you died for me, and you rose on the third day so that I could overcome, and so I could rise one day and be with you forever in eternity. Jesus, help me now from this day forward to be fruitful and to multiply, to flourish. And as a part of the family of God, I commit to be part of his church, the local church of Jesus Christ in Jesus name. And everybody said, come on. Amen. And amen.